noticing things again about each uh, book, each um, stop that we've made. And uh, perhaps you are in the habit of reading through your Bible. And I hope that you are. I hope that you've challenged yourself to read through the whole Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And what you're going to find that each, is each book is written for a, a great purpose. And so what we've been doing on Wednesdays is just going through each book, doing a, a quick survey of each, and then just making a, an application as we've, um, uh, as we've gone through each book. So let's begin reading here in James chapter 1, just the first few verses of the, of the book to familiarize ourselves with it. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have a perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. And so that's an introduction to the book of James. Uh, James is probably the earliest epistle in the New Testament. And uh, the book of James is, the mo- is, is another Jewish book of the New Testament. And some have called it the Proverbs of the New Testament with its many wise sayings. So if you read through the book of James, its, its style is a bit different. It's got some shorter, um, shorter sentences and, and some even one-line sentences that, that speak that just give uh, wisdom statements. But if you notice there right from the beginning, it's, it's written to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And that's referring to, the, uh, to those who have some Jewish heritage who had uh, converted to be Christians. Okay, so the Jewish flavor of, of the book of James is seen in several ways. So firstly, James uses the word synagogue. He uses the word assembly rather than the word church, which he will then use later on in the uh, in the book, in chapter 5. Uh, here the church ha- was still in the circle and shadow of Judaism, so it was very, very early on in, in church history. Um, it, it's the only New Testament book specifically addressed to the 12 tribes, as we mentioned, and much of the illustrations are, are from the Old Testament or um, from nature, which again harks back to the book of Proverbs. And um, so, if you're reading through the book of James, don't expect to find in this epistle the well-developed doctrines of the church as in Paul's letters. It uh, doesn't mean it's not a doctrinal book, but it, it, th- there's many things that uh, he emphasizes. And, and rather than emphasizing doctrine, the book emphasizes practicality. Okay, so James was writing to Christians of Jewish extraction residing in, in Gentile communities. And many of these Jewish Christians were probably those who were saved at Pentecost. If you remember... Uh, Peter preaching, and uh, all, all manner of men heard their, uh, the, the message of the gospel in their language. Many of those were, were Jews from different parts of the world that spoke different languages. And so these were probably, he who was writing to, were saved at Pentecost and had taken back with them to their own countries just the rudiments of Christianity. So a lot of them would stay, had stayed for a little while just to learn just the very basic things about Christianity and they headed back to their um, home countries. So the epistle then encourages Christians to, uh, to, be, to have patience under their troubles and persecutions. And if you know a little bit about early Christian history, um, uh, Christians weren't, weren't accepted very much in society. 
they were very much persecuted. They, they very much faced trouble. And in fact, uh, we read even that uh, much of the church uh, in Jerusalem faced some famine and, and different things. And so, so this book encourages uh, Christians to, to have patience under their troubles and persecutions and then to wait and hope for the speedy return of Christ, which we see that theme developing in chapter 5. And so James really, in, in the book, in the writing of this, stresses practical Christianity as, as an outworking of the Christian's inner faith. And that dynamic between faith and works is discussed at length right through the book. So if we were to summarize that in one sentence, we could say this, true faith must be lived out in everyday life by good deeds, especially in the face of trials or persecution, and such good works demonstrate the presence of faith and justification before God. So, uh, so really that theme of, of uh, the, the, our faith being worked out and, and lived is right through the book of James. And so some key facts about the book. It's the 59th book in your Bible. Uh, the author is James, the half-brother of Jesus, and uh, the brother of Jude and the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And, um, and we'll discuss a little bit about the, some, some of the different Jameses in the, in the, in the Bible. But it's got five chapters, 108 verses, 2,309 words. The key words uh, in the book, as I've already been saying, is faith, which uh, appears 16 times in the book, and then works, which appears 13 times. And really, those are the key words because that's really the, the main discourse of, of the book, the, the pairing of those two. Um, the, because of that, I think the, the key verse is in James chapter 2, verse 20, where the Bible says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? And so he discusses that very extensively there in chapter 2. So those are the key facts of, of the book. So just some interesting facts just regarding the book there. Uh, as I mentioned, there, there are three Jameses mentioned in the Bible, right? So there's James, the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. There's, the, there's James, the son of Alphaeus, one of the disciples. And then James, the half-brother of our Lord, which we see in Mark chapter 6, Ma Matthew chapter 13, and then also referred to in 1 Corinthians, all right? So uh, James then, the, the writer of this book, was the half-brother of our Lord. Uh, we could say he was a late bloomer or really a late believer, Right? He wasn't saved during, during uh, Jesus' life on earth. He was actually converted after the resurrection. So once the resurrection, we, we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 14, that these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women. And then notice this, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So, so after the resurrection, even though prior to that, they didn't believe in Jesus to be uh, the, the Savior, after the resurrection... They were convinced. They were convinced of the fact that he was indeed the Savior. And, and, um, and again, the, the, the message of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, let me just put a plug in here. A great time to invite um, your friends who are lost, who need to know Jesus, is just during our Resurrection Sunday. We'll talk about the resurrection. And, and the resurrection is the great proof of the many promises of the Lord Jesus. So, so James was converted at that point. James became then a great leader. He became an influential pastor of the Jerusalem church. Um, someone said it this way, he was known as an unusually good man and was surnamed the just by his countrymen. It is said that he spent so much time on his knees in prayer that they became hard and callous like a camel's knees. 
Uh, and so we see that uh, recorded in history about him. Um, James met Paul during uh, Paul's first trip to Jerusalem. If you remember, some of you who've been uh, coming along on, um, on, on Sunday mornings, we've been going through the, the life of Paul a little bit. And so after his Damascus Road conversion, after Damascus, and then when he went to join himself over with the disciples in Jerusalem, James was there, and that's where they met. Um, he also conferred with Paul during the apostles' last trip to Jerusalem. We see that in Acts chapter 21. So they had, they, they had direct um, contact with each other. And of course, as you know, the Apostle Paul was the, uh, the, the one that God gave the mysteries of the gospel, and especially in regard to the Gentiles, how they were going to be grafted in. And so, um, so again, understand that whilst those elements um, are really not focused on in the book of James, James was very much knowledgeable about that, um, having, having had that contact with the Apostle Paul. Um, some other writers, historians, say that shortly before Jerusalem was destroyed, when many Jews were accepting Christ, uh, Annas, the, the high priest, assembled the Sanhedrin and commanded James publicly to renounce Christ as Israel's Messiah. And, and so, um, upon his refusal, so James refused, his punishment was that he was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple, and then as he was struggling to get up, he was stoned to death while he lay there really just struggling and really dying from the fall. And so, so history sort of um, tells us that it's not recorded for us in the Word of God. Uh, there's a good contrast between the books of Hebrews and James, and, and we, we looked at the book of Hebrews last week, and, and we noted that it was very much uh, written to the, to the Jewish believers of the time, uh, Christians who had converted. And there, yet there's a contrast here. It seems significant that Hebrews which stresses faith, should then be followed by James, which, which stresses works. Because, because after faith, then there should be an evident working out of that inner faith. So Hebrews then, we see the object of our faith, but then James, we see the trials and testing of our faith. And someone said it this way, there's no testimony without a test. And, and so he's, he's, he's trying to encourage those believers who were going through their trials and testings to remain in the faith. And James is not arguing for works as a means of salvation, but he's, he's arguing it as a product of salvation. We, we need to make that, that divide clear. All right, we don't work for our salvation. That's by faith alone, by grace through faith. But the outworking or the product of our salvation is works. We're going to produce good works in our lives. And, and James really stresses that, right? And the proofs of true faith are works. So, so we see that some interesting facts about the book of James. So the, the purpose and theme, again, the purpose was writing to, to uh, really to babes in Christ, those who have just been newly saved. James writes to instruct in practical ways how to live the faith even as they faced persecution and whilst waiting upon the coming of the Lord Jesus. And isn't it interesting, again, that this very early book, many, many say that the earliest book of the New Testament um, of the church age already, already was looking for the return of Christ. Doesn't that, that, does that help, help us tonight? We're, we're still looking. We, we ought to still be looking just like those that, that were there in, in that time. But... Um, 
And so that's really the, the purpose. The theme, again, there's several themes, faith and works, um, speech, which is in chapter 3, our tongue, the, the most extensive teaching about the tongue is, is, is there given to us in James chapter 3. There's patience in waiting for the return of Christ, but then also prayer. So all of those elements of practical Christian living is really found in the book of James. And that's why there's, there's, really, a, there's really a correlation between James and the book of Proverbs. Because what is, what is Proverbs? It's the book of wisdom. But what is wisdom? It's the practical application of truth. That's what that is. And, and so the book of James is, is really some, many, many would hold to that as an equivalent to the book of Proverbs. But think about this as well. James being the, the half-brother of Christ, he would have very much seen from a practical point of view the day-to-day how a person of faith lived out. He had the supreme example of that in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can, can you imagine growing up in the same household as the Lord Jesus? Talk about intimidating. Some of you, some of you, um, some of you young people who have a sibling and, you know, they're the golden child. And, you know, don't look around. Some of you just turned around just really quick, but don't look around. All right, the, the, the golden child, the, the one that seems to not, not be, have the ability to do wrong. And you're just like, what? You know, every time you get the, and, and obviously it wasn't me. I, I still have issues about that. But, um, but can you imagine literally living in the house where the perfect person lived? And there's great advantages to that. Um, James and others would have just seen just the, the, the perfection, the perfect man. And, and so imagine that, and then now, but under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, James writing this letter to the 12 tribes he had as he was growing up, those instructions from the book of Proverbs, but then also visible to him the person of wisdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he wrote these things, he had those two sources in mind, the Lord Jesus and the book of Proverbs. And, the, the, and again, the, the wisdom is personified so often in the book of Proverbs, but really embodied by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so James writes with that kind of thought and background uh, to us here as, as believers in this time. And so if we were to outline the book, we could call... Uh, we could subtitle the book Works, The Proofs of Faith. We see in chapters 1 to 2, the tests. We see in chapter 3, the tongue. And then we see in chapters 4 to 5, some timely instructions. Right, so we can break the, the, the chapters down to that. Um, but really, uh, the, the type of Christ is, is our Lord who draws nigh. In James chapter 4, verses 6 to 8, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And the, the whole idea of wisdom being available, he's saying, draw to me. And I want to say to our, our young people, and really to everyone here, uh, we, we didn't quite read the verses there, but uh, he uh, so we did read the verses there. He says, and if, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Listen, we need wisdom to live in our day, don't we? 
We absolutely do. But here's the good news. It's available. The problem is we don't ask. We don't ask, and, and then we don't ask in faith. And, and he's saying, let him ask. And he's not going to withhold that. And so he's the, the type of Christ we see in, in, the, uh, in the book of James is, is really wisdom personified, embodied, but then also our Lord who draws nigh. And he's available to you. And so uh, it's interesting to read through it and, and just, the, just the, the whole application of that. And really, we can say it's an active faith, isn't it? Um, you know, our, our faith is not meant to lie dormant. Faith isn't about sitting here like we do so often. It's about what we do with what we hear, right? He'll say later on in the same chapter, be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so when we're talking about the, the, the main thrust and the main purpose of the book of James, it's really an exhortation about an active faith. And that's the exhortation I want to give you. Look at verses 22 to 25, chapter 1. James chapter 1, look at verses 22 to 25. And we're going to pull some things here from these, uh, these verses in a little bit. Uh, actually, we'll read down to verse 27. Notice verse 22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. So he's, he's giving us a picture here of a person who, who, who goes before a glass, which is a mirror. Verse 24, For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. So he goes off and, and although he looks at himself in the mirror, he, he forgets his appearance. He forgets who, what he's about. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, so goes again and again, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And, and the, the, the good thing about living in wisdom and drawing to God is that there's a blessing attached to that. He's saying if you draw into the Word of God continually, if you draw wisdom continually, there's a blessing to that. You'll be blessed indeed. Notice this though. Then he says, um, if, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And so, really, if you, you look at the structure of the, the first chapter of James, it's a summary of the rest of the book. Because these things he'll, he'll emphasize later on. And so we'll, we'll, we'll look at that. But what we're saying is that the theme of the book and, and really our thought for tonight is having an active faith. Our faith is not meant to just lay there dormant like an unused, um, un unused asset. It's something that we're meant to use. It, it, it's like you know, getting to a certain point and you, maybe you, you, you buy your dream car, but you never drive it. Imagine you bought your dream car and all you did was keep it in the garage. What's the use of that? Uh, what's the use of that? And, and, and you know, many times... We have the, the greatest treasure in the whole world and the things of God, our faith. And they re remain dormant like it's, it's unused in our lives. And he's saying here that, that really when it comes to our faith, it needs to be an active faith. It needs to be something that we don't just profess, 
but we also demonstrate in our lives. And so as, uh, as he goes through this, he emphasizes this right through the book. Notice James chapter 2 now, and notice verse 8. It says, if you fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. So he's speaking about our relationships with others. Look at uh, verses 14 to 16. He says, what doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? So they're speaking about here uh, meeting the need of, a, of, of someone else. So in that sense, save him. So he says, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, so declaring something, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? He's saying, you haven't helped them. You, you, haven't, you haven't actually alleviated their need. And then he goes on to say, even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. So he, he uses that illustration to just help us understand what he's saying. He's saying, you know, you might know the law. You might know all those things. And then, but if you don't enact on the, the immediate pressing need, an action, a work, then there's no point. It doesn't actually profit them. And, um, and he's saying here that the emphasis there is those brethren are only helped if my faith is an active faith. So if we're actually living the way we should as believers, if, if, the outwork, if our faith has an outworking towards others, that's the only way we're actually going to benefit others. If we're just sitting there and we're just sort of like, you know, having, we know a lot of things about the Bible, but we don't act the way we should, we don't, we don't behave the way we should, towards others as we're instructed in the Word of God, then it actually doesn't help them. So uh, the only reason He gives us the faith is that we activate it in others' lives and it, it, through our own life. He continues on, look at verse 18, yea, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show, you that, show thee my faith by my works. And so now He's saying... Um, He's saying if you're genuinely saved, there's, there's got to be an outworking of that in your life. He's saying, I'm going to demonstrate my, my salvation to you. It's not, not just something I say I am. You know, I, I, none of us here, none of us here can, can truly know who is genuinely saved by faith in God or not. Correct? But we can see it, we can see an active faith and, and say, boy, they sure look look alive. They sure look like their lives are changed. And, and it's, what I'm saying is this isn't for us to determine who is saved and who is not. But if we want to clearly advertise that we are truly saved, if we want to clearly advertise our faith to others, we must not just declare our faith. We must show our faith. We, there must be a, a, a demonstration of it in our lives. You say, show thee my faith. I'm going to show you. I'm not just going to talk about it. You know, a lot of people are good at talking about how they, they walk with God. and they, A lot of people are, are, are very good at saying, oh, well, I am a Christian. But the emphasis there isn't about what you say. It's what you do. It's an active faith. It's not just about, hey, young people, listen, it's great if you tell your friends that you're a Christian but it's way better if you show them. 
You want to win your friends? You know, many of you are asking that question. Well, uh, how, do I, how do I lead them? Listen, the first way is this. Be different. Work it out. Show it. Show your faith. So in other words, I, I, I can't display my faith in God to the lost by just saying I have it. I can only display it by serving God. I can only display it by my, by my good works. It's got to be an active faith. And so, um, again, look at James chapter 3. James chapter 3, look at verse 13. He emphasizes it again. He, he says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. So he's saying there, uh, if you're a wise man endued with knowledge, you're going to show it out of, a, out of a good conversation, a good manner of life. Uh, his works with meekness of wisdom. So you're going to demonstrate that. Look at James chapter 4. Look at verse 11. He emphasizes it here. He says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. So you see, the emphasis there is not, don't just judge the law, like talk about it. He's saying, be a doer of it. If you truly understand the things of the Word of God, it's not just about how we debate about it and talk about it. It's about how you live it. And you could be knowledgeable about the things of God, but it doesn't matter about that. You, you show your knowledge and judgment of the law by doing it, by showing it. He emphasizes it again in verse 17. It says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And so then he, he ends the book, look at James chapter 5. Look at verses, um, verses 19 and 20. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. You know what that is? It's your witness. You know how you're going you're gonna, to, the, the book ends? It's your witness. He's saying if you convert a sinner, saying it'll, he'll save, you, you'll, uh, you tell him that, that it'll save his soul. And, you know, as we go about, I hope that as we strive to be a witness, and maybe the reason why we're so uncomfortable sometimes to share the gospel is because we know our lives don't match it. Because our lives aren't active in, in, in the outworking of our faith. And yet that's James's, uh, the, 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 the emphasis here in the book of James. And I wonder if we have an active faith. And, and it really, we're going to go back to chapter 1. And notice the, the four main ways here that he speaks about how to have an active faith. And notice there in verse 25. He says, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word, uh, of the work, he, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So here in verse 25, the first way that we're going to show an active faith, we're going to see here that you're going to read and apply the Bible. So he's just saying there he's going to continue therein. The, the perfect law of liberty is speaking about the Word of God. 
And so he's saying you're going to continue there. It's not just faithful church attendance hearing the preaching. No, you will continue therein. That means when we leave here tonight, it won't be till, it won't be, uh, you won't be waiting till Sunday till the next time you pick up the Bible. You're going to pick it up as soon as you're able. You're going to pick it up at the next appointed time that you schedule your time to do so. You're going to refer to it when you are making decisions. You're going to refer to it in, if you have a question about life because it's not just reading but then applying. He says there uh, in the last bit of that verse, and but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Remember that great parable the, about the wise man that built his house upon the rock. Both the one who built the, his house upon the sand and the one who built his uh, house upon the rock, they both knew about the Word of God. They both heard from, uh, from the Lord, but only one did it. Only one was a doer, the one that built his house upon the rock. And again, there, there's many, uh, many in Christianity today who think that knowledge is everything, but no, application is everything when it comes to, Christ, uh, to the things of faith. It's the outworking. It's good to have knowledge, but how is that knowledge working out into your life? How is it being activated? But it's reading and applying the Bible. Really, we could close it right there. But then we also see he emphasizes verse 26. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Here's the second way we're going to show an active faith. So the first way is reading and applying the Bible. But then secondly, by bridling our tongue. He's saying, uh, make sure you keep your tongue under control. It's a tough one for everyone. That, that's why the Bible says if a man bridles his tongue, he's a perfect man. And again, we think about our Lord Jesus, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. He, he, was, uh, he was dumb before the shears. We know about the Lord Jesus that when... when they heard him speak. They, won, they marveled at the gracious words. And I wonder if we keep a guard over our tongue. You know, sometimes we excuse our speech because we think it just disappears into the air. But, but God will hold you to account, hold us to account for every idle word. And, and listen, we, we can go about and be flippant with our words, can't we? I, I bet you... Many of us were flippant with our words with our spouses today, with our children today, with our co-workers today, and we thought nothing of it, and yet the Bible's telling us, how, how, how are we to have an active faith? We are, we're going to demonstrate that by bridling our tongue, by not just by thinking about and, and being under control, under the Spirit's control with our tongue. But then also, look at verse 27, the first part. It says, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And here's the, the next one. The way we, we show an outworking is visiting people in affliction. You know, many of us here, we are uncomfortable with suffering. We're uncomfortable with being around people who are going through a difficult time. Some of you aren't. You, you may probably have the gift of mercy. But, but many of us, we struggle with that, and yet pure religion. It's visiting the fatherless and the widow in their affliction. 
I wonder when, when was the last time we communicated with someone who's going through a affliction in their lives? When was the last time we just were with them to, to just be there? When was the last time we thought of meeting a need for someone who was going through affliction? I wonder if we're even mindful of those who are widowed and fatherless in our congregation or are just surrounding us. I wonder if we look around and we, we have a heart to meet needs like that, to just be there for those who are going through their affliction. Maybe some sickness, maybe some uh, hardship that they're going through. And not be like Job's friends who talk too much. <laughs> just actually be there. Just, just be there as a, a constant friend. And just bear a burden. That's the law of Christ, is to bear one another's burdens. And, and many times we neglect those who are afflicted. And yet one of the, one of the ways, one of the ways that we um, are to show active faith is just visiting people in affliction. And, and then lastly, notice this, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. And the last one is separated from the world. One of the outworkings that should be prominent in our lives is just there's, there ought to be a marked difference with the way we live. We should be unspotted from the world. You know, um, we live in a society, we, we live in a time where Christianity is being very comfortable with the world. In fact, it's sad, many, many churches are inviting the world into the church. And the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world have choked the seed. And we, we need to be, as Christians, be mindful of, of the world's influence in our lives. And he's saying be unspotted. That means we ought to be more active and in, in vigilant and guarding what comes into our hearts and minds. And, and we ought to... We ought to just have a, a mindset that we will combat that each and every day. And, um, and so he says, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I wonder if we ambition like the world. I wonder if we, uh, we have the values of the world. I wonder if we fight that. Uh, I wonder if we are mindful of the fashions of the world and the direction that the world is going. And we need to be mindful that as part of our active faith, we are to keep ourselves separate from that. And we ought to be, we understand what separation is. Separation is not just separation from something. It's, per, it's separation to someone. The reason why we want to keep unspotted from the world is because we're separated for our master's use. We're meant to be more about Christ, more about heaven, and more about things above than things of this world. That ought to matter more to us than anything else. And, and I hope that that's our values. And, and you know what? That's part of our active faith. And so tonight, as we think about the book of James, James really summarizes for us how to live in wisdom, how to, how to live practically the faith. And, and it would do us good if it do us all good to study through that uh, as we go about. And, and I pray that, that as we go through our week, 
that we would consider how we ought to live uh, and how we ought to live for Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, dear Lord, for the opportunity we've had to just uh, run through the book of James. And Father, I know that there's so much more that we can really glean and, and dig into tonight. I pray, Father, that you'd just motivate us a little bit this evening to, Lord, to dig ourselves, Lord, to dig in the treasures of your word each and every day. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, you would indeed help us to then not only take that on as knowledge, but to live it out in wisdom. Uh, Lord, especially as we, we live in, in times that are so contrary, I pray that we would, Lord, be motivated to just live it out to make a difference in our day. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. All right. Well, um, everyone have a prayer list? If you don't, just raise your hand and uh, Brother Robert will.